Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. All right. God is good. Isn't that right? Come on. You, do you love God in this place or what? Well, turn to your spouse and say, you're looking good. You look real good. Come on, y'all got to chill out. I don't know how it's going in your life right now, but here's what I know. Those of you that are doing well in your marriage, you're looking right at me right now. But those of you where it's not going so well, you won't look up for 30 minutes. And so I don't know how it's going for you, but we're going to give you some life tonight because the Word of God is full of life, and the Holy Spirit, He doesn't care where you've been. He just wants you to go to the Father, and that's where we're headed. Can I have an amen? Because I know you've made big mistakes. And in fact, if you don't think you have issues, that is your issue right there. And how many of you have made big mistakes in marriage? Come on, look at the idiots that are in this room. But, but what happens is, is that the devil loves to tell you you're the only one. And when you buy into that, you're stuck. You are not going to grow if you don't know how much God misses you or wants you around and how great the Father's love is for you. I'm going to tell you, he didn't stay on the cross because the nails held him there. He was on the cross because he wanted to show you how good he is at forgiving people. And if you don't understand that in marriage, you're going to hate marriage because you're going to make mistakes. So he's a forgiver. He's a grace giver. Can I have an amen? All right, I'm going to hit you with all that I have from the Word, but we are going to have a good time. Uh, but, but around the, the subject of mistakes, here's what happens. When you make mistakes, you tend to live in the past. And a lot of you have better vision behind you than you do in front of you. And in fact, when I talk about vision for your marriage, uh, there's a chance that you're going to see the mistakes that you've made or the good moments that you've made. I always joke around about the way that my wife drives a car. Uh, she doesn't use the rear view mirror. I don't know why. But you can get in her car and see your feet in her rear view mirror. And I'll say, babe, you ought to use the, the mirror. She goes, I don't need them. I said, why not? You pay, they go with the car. She goes, because I'm not driving that way. I'm driving that way. Let me tell you, that's a bad driving strategy. <laughs> but that's a great kingdom strategy. And some of you, you need to turn around. Let me tell you something. The most positive word in the Bible is the word repent. I didn't know that growing up. Because I grew up in a church where there was a lot of condemnation and a lot of guilt. When I was eight years old, my Sunday school teacher would tell me every Sunday morning that hell was hot and I was going to hell. And her finger was 30 foot long, and she would point at me and say, you're going to hell. She talked like a man who smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> you're going to hell, and hell is hot. She, she talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. <laughs> I wanted to ask her, does the devil wear a Prada? Because I know you know. Don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. <laughs> Funny now. But when I was eight years old, okay, I'm just going to take my heart out on this one. 
I thought God hated me. I thought he was disappointed in me. I never knew he wanted to do anything around me. Interesting enough, I still struggle with that. And I never knew that he wanted me in the game. I thought he wanted me out. God wants you in the game. And if your marriage has been hit and flipped upside down, and even if you have 1% hope or 0% hope, the best marriages that I know of in the world are people who were dead and gone. Like there was no hope. And one of my favorite things to do is to walk into a home where there's no hope for the family and to see the Holy Spirit rebuild it. And it is a testimony that will freak you out in your faith. So my Sunday school teacher was wrong. She was not right. God did want me around. But here's the problem. As you move through life and then you make mistakes, and because a lot of you have, how many have ever lied before? Big time, all right? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying now. And it's a church and God will kill you. And so let's do it again. How many have lied? How many have ever stole anything in your life? Look at the thief. Even a church ink pen you have? How many procrastinate too much? The real procrastinators will raise their hand later. Just all of a sudden, it'll go up. We all have issues. And we've all made mistakes. I remember one time I had a chance to go and meet with Dr. Billy Graham. I was speaking to their chapel, and, uh, and when I was done, a lady came up to me. Now, you got to know this. Dr. Billy Graham is still alive, but this was a few years ago, and it was clear. He was telling everybody that he was about to die. So I'm speaking at chapel, and after it was done, they said, hey, would you like to meet Dr. Billy Graham? I said, yes. They said, well, you can. He's, he's not feeling good. I was like, this place is messed up. And I said, well, okay, well, I just, at least I got to answer that. And uh, so the lady said, but if he ever feels better, would you be willing to fly back? And he would like to meet you. You could go up to his home and, and meet him. I said, yes, but you'd have to be willing to fly here without even knowing if you could meet with him. I said, yes, like everything you say, it's yes. Because Dr. Billy Graham has led more people to the Lord out of everybody who's ever lived since Jesus. And so it was a yes. So one day they called me and a friend of mine, and I was able to go there. And, and uh, man, it was, it was a sort of a setup. Like, like I was in her office, and the lady said, he's taking a nap. It's 9 in the morning. He's taking a nap, and when he wakes up, he's going to tell us if he feels good enough to meet with you. And so I'm just praying in the spirit. Even if you're not spirit-filled, you'll pray in the spirit when that happens. And I'm praying, and then the lady came out, and she goes, I just got off the phone with Dr. Billy Graham. He feels good enough, and you can go. So I said, where, where do I go? They said, you go up to his house. Okay. Well, I didn't know where that was, so I just drove up. You know, And his house was up on a hill, and I got out of the car and uh, had a friend with me. And we went to the door, and I, it wasn't locked. I just opened the door, and I walked down the hallway, and, and I heard someone to the right, and I turned, and there was Dr. Billy Graham sitting in the sitting room. And I'd heard that he was about to die, so I didn't know what the conversation was going to be like. So the first thing I said to him, I said, sir, a few months ago, I saw the pulpit when you spoke in Baton Rouge and you shared the word and I gave my heart to the Lord. How long did it tell you, take you to build a sermon? He said, it took me a lifetime to build every sermon I ever preached. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. 
I said, I know you had a great marriage. Your wife is in heaven now. But do you have any advice for me? Because I'm married. Do you have any advice for me? He goes, yep. Do everything she tells you to do. <laughs> it's like, okay, he's got his A game. He's doing good. And then at the very end, I said, sir, would you pray for me? And then he said, yes, I will, but only if you pray for me. And then that's when I interrupted. I said, sir, I don't really know how to pray for you. You just told me you're about to die. You're Dr. Billy Graham. I don't really know how to pray. And what he said will help your marriage. He said, you pray that I finish the race strong. He just told me he was about to die. He's Billy Graham. I was thinking, if he doesn't finish the race, we're all going down. So I prayed, literally prayed that he would finish the race strong. It was an awkward prayer, but when it was done and I got home, it hit me. That's the reason why this man has kept integrity. Like, this is the reason why he landed on his feet. Somehow, he's always seen the end. Like, he's always known this was coming. He's still praying to hit the tape strong. And I just want to tell you, I don't care where you are or what you've done. The Spirit of God is not finished with you. And I'm challenging you in the name of Jesus to stop looking back and let's see the tape. Because we're going to run this race and we're going to finish this race and we're going to finish it strong together as married couples. We're going to do this together. But I want you to see the spirit of the Lord. Like some of you have been, you've been caught in something. Uh, maybe you've been caught in, in drugs. Maybe you've been caught in adultery. Maybe you've been caught lying. Maybe you've been caught. I want you to see what Jesus does when he catches somebody. He doesn't leave them there to die in the rot. Like that, that's, that's what the enemy likes to do. When Jesus catches someone, he loves to rebuild them. There was this one lady who was caught in adultery and she was thrown at the feet of Jesus and the religious people were a lot like my Sunday school teacher. They just wanted to kill her. And in fact, they had the exact same goal in mind as Jesus. They, Jesus wanted her to sin no more and they wanted her to sin no more, but the way they wanted to do it was to kill her and the way Jesus wanted to do it was to give her forgiveness and a new life. So they took her and literally threw her, and then she's naked and busted, and she knows the law. She's going down. She's about to be stoned, and I'm not talking about Colorado stone either. <laughs> so here she is, and these religious people said they were, it was entrapment at its best. They go, she, she was caught in a judge. We're gonna, we got to kill her, Jesus. What do you say? And Jesus is so cool. He goes, y'all are right, we do have to kill her. He said, let's do it this way. Let's, let's stone her, but, but let's let the one of you who's without sin throw the first rock. And then, interesting enough, twice, Jesus bent over and wrote on the ground, like they're watching, and we don't know what he wrote on the ground, but it freaked them out. And they're just looking at it, and one by one, they just started dropping rocks. Maybe he was writing on the ground. I'm just conjecturing. But maybe he wrote on the ground things they were caught in. 
are things they were never caught in. And in fact, if you're in something and you haven't been caught, the best thing that can happen to you is for you to be caught by Jesus. So he's writing on the ground. Billy Graham said it's the only sermon Jesus ever wrote. That's pretty cool. (laughs) And then one by one, they started dropping rocks and walking away. I find it very interesting. It was the people who needed forgiveness the most who walked away with their heads down. Like the one place they should have just fallen on their face saying, I need you. But they ran away. This is what happens when you have a religious mindset. You start thinking about how good you, like you've done everything right, maybe one little thing wrong, but it's everybody else around here that's messed up. Not me. Try that in marriage and just to see how it goes. But let's just go ahead and assume you're right. Let's say your spouse is 95% wrong and you're only 5% wrong. Then I just want you to listen to 5% of you just for the next few days just to get a little humble and teachable because we can all grow. Can I have an amen? Everybody's gone. This woman's still there, probably half naked. And Jesus looked at her, and she's probably in a fetal position. She knows it's without Jesus, it's over for you. And he looks at her, and he says, ma'am, where are those that condemn you now? And she's looking around like she thought she was having a really bad day, but now she's realizing, well, this is really turning out pretty good. Except she's still afraid because she didn't know Jesus can probably throw some rocks too. So she's still checking everything out. She said, I think, I think they've all gone. You're still here, but I think they left. <laughs> and Jesus said, woman, he's like looking at her. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now you go and sin no more. Okay, please listen to me. There's no chance that she went back into a lifestyle of adultery. I'm totally sure of it because nothing can compete with being forgiven. Like if he'd have looked at her, get up, you old trashy thing. Look at you, you're a mess. Now get out of here and sin no more. She'd have went right back into sin. But when you're that close to forgiveness, nothing can compete with that. And I came here to tell you, I don't care how many wrong turns you've made. I don't care whether you were caught in or not caught in yet. The Spirit of God is trying to tell you, I got some life for you. You can take it right now. And when you go home, sin no more because it's time to live together. And if you believe that, praise his holy name. Come on, he's a really good God if you believe that. So I'm going to be talking to you about, we're going to go through the word. I love the word. Raise your hand if you love the word. I just love the word. Uh, but, but there are times when you'll read the word. I'm just going to be honest with you. And there's times where you'll read the word where it's like at best a tip of the day. Like it's good advice, just kind of a good tip. Yeah, I probably need to do that. Just like when you're raising kids. Uh, raise your hand if you're raising kids. Now I'm not going to talk about kids a lot because some of you are not. But when you're raising kids, you'll give them like a tip, like, 
Like, just something like, don't run through the living room. Just, it's good advice. Like, don't, close the door. Don't forget your shoes. My kids would leave and leave their shoes all over the city. Bring your shoes home, tip of the day. But there are other times, please understand, there are other times where you, if you have kids and you haven't done this yet, then you are holier than me. Because you'll bring them over and you'll put them right in front of you because what you're about to tell them could save their life. So you get them really close and you'll grab them by the face. You don't, you're not trying to kill them. You just want them to know you're serious. So you grab them and you just look at me and you look and they will not look. Four-year-old will not look. Look at me. And they will not. Do you want me to do to you what I did to your older brother? I don't have an older brother. See, you want me to do that? Because that's what I'll do right now. And then finally they'll look at you. Listen to me. And you want them to know ahead of time. And that's why I love the word. The word, it's trying to tell you ahead of time. Some of you have made some of these mistakes, but... But I just want you to see the heart of God. He just loves you. He wants you around. He just wants you around. So he's grabbing your face and tell you. Because if you're raising kids and like they're four years old, I've joked around about this for years, but they're like they're four. You go, hey, I want to teach you today about a stove and, and what it can do to you. I've preheated the stove. Now come on over and I'll take your finger, you know, the little one, the one that, 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 that one, and put, touch it. Touch. See how it burns you? Don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. Stop crying. Get back up. Now I want you to lick that finger. I'm going to teach you about electricity. See this outlet? Come on over here. Same finger. Just don't, don't worry about it. Just stick. See how, see how it zapped you? Get back up. Don't ever do that again. These things. That's enough for today. Go to your room. And tomorrow I'm going to teach you about traffic and what it can do to a human. You don't raise your kids that way because you love them, right? Let me tell you something. The Lord is going to grab your face, but it's not to condemn you. It's until you to get this. Because some other people that you know didn't. How's it going for them? Like, are you at the peak of your relationship with the Lord right now? Are you? And if you are, it's just so cool. But if you're not, do you remember when you were? Do you remember what it was like when you could hear his voice and you were led by the Spirit and it was just like, man, I just love you, God. Well, this is where the Holy Spirit wants you now. And I find it interesting that it's in marriages where we blow it. So Michelle and I, Michelle, would you stand up, baby? I'm my baby girl. And, uh, and I, have, I have the O'Briens, Lance and Laura. These are good people. They're here right now. And uh, it's Michelle's brother and uh, our sister-in-law. And uh, they live in Zachary, just good people. And, uh, but Michelle and I, when we first got married, <laughs> we just had a, our first year, it was not good. How many would say you struggled your first year? Look at that. That's just normal, I think. Well, our first year, it was like wars and rumors of wars at our house. <laughs> you know the verse said, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We were staying up for like 10 or 12 days. <laughs> Okay, that's wrong. But I mean, we just, it wasn't doing good. But here's the problem for me, and I'm just going to tell you my story, and then you're going to have to somehow make it 
fit into what you need to learn because there's no way yours is anywhere close to this because it was related to ministry. But when I was in Bible school, they would literally spend a lot of time. They're nothing like Mike and Rachel. What I like about your pastors and your staff is they're sincere. If Michael strugg- if Mike is struggling with something, he's calling, up. He's call- he's calling somebody. Y'all need to pray for me. I'm struggling. But when I was in Bible school, we were taught never to be that way. We were taught this in Bible school. That's why a lot of people are still jacked up about this. Like, like we were taught that you sit in a chair away from everybody else. Touch not the anointing. If you're going to be in the ministry, ministry is lonely. You just have to hide it. Pray it through. If you're struggling, you just pray it through. I was in Bible school and I'd raise my hand. I said, man, I, I can't have any friends. No, ministry's lonely. And I was thinking, I'm going to hate this. So I graduated from Bible school. The same month that we graduated from Bible school, Michelle and I got married right around that time and then also in the full-time ministry around the same time. Well, our marriage was struggling. But we would walk into church, like into a small group. I'd put my arm around her, and we'd walk in, and, and people would say, wow, y'all have such a great marriage. And I'm saying, yeah. We wish you had a marriage like you. I said, yeah, you do, huh? <laughs> and then we'd get back in the car and start fighting again. Almost all of it because of my insecurities. I was fighting for position. The wrong place. So anyway, Michelle and I progressed and arguing and arguing that first year. And then finally my pastor, he came to me and he said, hey, I want you to preach to the whole church. Well, this is a big auditorium. And I never preached to more than 300 teenagers. I want you to preach to the whole church. I was like, okay. So I went home to work on a sermon and I was working on it. It was getting closer to that weekend. And I walked through the living room and Michelle was there and she said something to me that made me mad. And I looked over at Michelle and I said, Michelle, shut up. I'm sick of you. I regret even marrying you. I'm trying to put together a sermon right now. are catching on so I went and got the water and came back and went into my room and I don't hear the voice of God very well it's been a struggle for me for a long time it would help me so much if I could hear his voice clear but that particular day I did and I'm in my office and I could feel like the conviction and condemnation and I got on my knees and said Lord forgive me he goes I'll forgive you But the hardest part of this is going to be going in there and asking her to forgive you. And I'm going to tell you, that's true. Because if you want to know how to spell pride, it's B-E-Z-E-T, my last name. (laughs) And my my dad, my mom, my grandparents, all of us, without Jesus, we'd never admit we were wrong. So I went in there, and I didn't even know how to apologize. I'd never done that before. (laughs) Here she was, crying. I'll never forget her bottom lip quivering. And I did that. And I'm trying to apologize like I'm far away. <laughs> sorry, babe. I'm sorry. And then finally, she looked up at me. How many men in here appreciate a woman of God who's got wisdom? And she looked up at me. She goes, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She goes, I'm with you forever. 
She goes, I'm with you, but I need to know who you are. Were you being real with me when we were dating? Writing me poems and stuff like that? Are you being real with me when we're at a small group and we walk in, you put your arm around me? Are you being real with me when you yell at me in the living room and tell me to shut up? She goes, I'm with you, but I got to know who you are. And I said, babe, I don't, I don't actually know right now. But I think I'm going to figure this out. I didn't know I could call anybody. I was just trying. I was taught in ministry, in Bible school, never to tell anybody what you were fighting. That's wrong. It doesn't work in your home or mine. So I went back into my office and I said, Lord... And I could sense that he was proud of me, but this is the part where I felt like the Spirit of God said, I forgive you and so does your wife. But when you speak to the church this weekend, I want you to tell them exactly how you yelled at your wife in the living room. I was like, God, I can't do that. I'm a pastor. God, they taught us never to do that in Bible school. God, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear that up. In the first semester, they cover that material. And so I said, no. So I was preaching a different sermon. How do you think it went? So I finally just said, hey, y'all, this isn't going good, is it? <laughs> and simultaneously, everybody yelled out, no, it's not. I was like, man, it's worse than I thought. And I finally, finally looked at everybody and said, let me tell you why it's not going well. And I told them the story I just told you, but when I told you, it was 29 years ago. When I told them, it was just a few days. So I thought it was over for me. And I looked at Michelle, was on the front row, and I said, Michelle, will you forgive me? She's she shocked. <laughs> and I said, babe, you want to know who I am? Am I real when I yell at you? Am I real when we're on a date? Am I real when I'm speaking? I'm going to tell you when I'm real. Right now. Right now. Right now. I felt the arms of God go around me like he was saying, this is my boy. <laughs> I thought it was over for me in ministry, but I didn't care because tell he was proud of me I just want to let you know it was in the middle of a storm man so I know you've made some mistakes but let's just travel through some teaching anybody hungry for teaching all right by the way my dad also lives you can give the Lord some praise my dad lives in this city and he's the funniest man that ever lived He's married to my stepmom, Linda, and Linda has the best little attitude, man. My dad recently was about to die, and, uh, or he, was, he, had, he had a heart attack, and he was going to have open-heart surgery. Previous to that, he was about to die in the hospital. He's had some ailments for sure. But he finally got home, and he told me, he said, son, I'll, I was there with him. Son, I want you to take me golfing. And Linda chimed in, you love golf more than you love me. And he said, yeah. 
He said, but I love you more than I love basketball. <laughs> and she just laughed, okay? Some of you, you're just taking life way too. When is the last time you laughed from your gut? First thing I want to talk to you guys about is four quick insights to a biblical marriage. I cannot wait to speak to you in the morning about these, just the way to get God right back into the center no matter where he is right now. But the first thing is that marriage can cause deep pain or deep healing. And it's your move. Okay, some of you might even been, be in this place right now. This seems like a great place. Theologically, this seems sound. Some of you might have prayed this before. I'm gonna go ahead and give you a hint that this is not biblically correct. But it sure seems right. Some of you, this is where you're praying right now. Lord, do something in my life. Lord, would you do something in my life? Lord, I want you to do something in my life. I love you. Do something in my life. And I just want to let you know that he's saying, it's your move. And there's no better place for you to move than in your marriage. But it's your move. Well, why don't we move? I'll tell you why I didn't move. I didn't move for a long time because of guilt. Because of my Sunday school teacher. I'm not throwing her completely under the bus, but she contributed a little bit of the guilt. I'm going to tell you, but if I asked you, and I just want to speak to you boldly, like I'm preaching in your face right now. If I were to ask you, give me the definition of conviction, and then I asked you, give me the definition of condemnation, most of you would not know the difference. But you have to know. So yesterday, let's say you lost your temper yesterday. You're in the marriage, and all of a sudden, you, she said something, or he said something, and it ticks you off, and you just blew it. Okay? What does condemnation look like in that moment? Condemnation is completely from the adversary. It's never from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation shows up and is, is very condemning, to oversimplify See how you are? How you say you're a believer? You're not even right with God. Even during worship, that voice came back. During worship, some of you were trying to participate a little bit in worship, but then you realized, oh yeah, I'm not even worthy to worship. Condemnation shows up when you make mistakes, and where we make the most mistakes is in marriage. And it shows up and tells you you're never going to change. It just shows up and condemns you to leave you there to die and to rot. Condemnation. But what is conviction? Conviction is totally different. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And conviction shows up on the same scene, but never to leave you there to die. He's like the anesthesiologist before the surgery. He just shows up. The Bible calls him the spirit of truth, but also the spirit of comfort. So he shows up and he says, see how you are? See how you lose this? We're going to make this a strength of yours. But we got to get tight with the Father. Now, come on. Let's, let's go. 
Even during worship, if you participated in conviction this week during worship, the song wasn't embarrassing you or condemning you. It was like, yeah, I, I, I tapped into some of this spirit this week. And I just want to let you know that the Lord wants you closer, not further away. Have you ever wondered why God's voice is so hard to hear? He's God. He can crank up some serious decibels. Some of you have great sound systems, but in heaven it's going to be loud. Come on, anybody want to go to heaven? But he can speak so loud, but he doesn't. Why does he speak in a whisper? It drives me crazy. You read in the Old Testament, his voice wasn't in the thunder. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire or the wind. It was in the whisper. Why? It's described his voice as a still, small voice. Why? He can save me so much time. Just tell me. I'm ready. Well, I didn't know. In my family, we have four kids. One of my kids, her name is Grace, and she's a whisperer. Well, we're Cajun people. We're crazy loud. Everything we eat loud, we laugh loud. Everything we do is loud. But then Grace is around. Hey, it's like a mosquito walked into the. It's like, what is that? Oh, I think Grace says so. So we have to stop what we're doing, and we got to go over to Grace, and we say, What did you say? I said, Hey, how y'all doing? He's <laughs> like, Okay, appreciate that. And then we go back and we're loud again. Here's what I've learned from that. The reason why he speaks in a whisper is because you have to be in close proximity to hear it. And condemnation will never let you close. But conviction draws you to the Father, like draws you close. Come on, come over here. He's saying something now. You haven't heard his voice in a while. He's in love with you. Come on. You're going to love what he's saying, but you got to get close. He, he's not going to speak it a different. He's not going to yell over to you. He wants you close by. The hardest heart that never hears is an unrepentive heart. And some of you, everything around you now is so loud the things you're addicted to, the world, loud, loud. And the Holy Spirit, she's still speaking. You say, where is he? He doesn't even love me anymore. No, he still loves you. He's still craving you to be around. But you can't hear the world, condemnation, all of that is louder than the whisper. I just wish that I would have known how positive the word repentance is. Because when I was a Sunday school teacher, her finger is 30 foot long. She pointed me, hell is hot. You're going straight to hell. Hell is hot. I never knew. She'd say, repent. I never knew the word repentance meant no matter where you are or what you have done, that you can turn because of the cross. Remember the old rugged cross? You can turn and face the Lord and walk up to him because he loves you and he's paid a price for that to happen. And again, he is amazing at forgiving people. And so some of you, it's like you want God, but you don't want to repent. Like to turn around. It's just to turn around and say, God, I, 
I want you back. You won't turn around. He's saying, turn around. Just give me a shot again. And I find that marriage is one of the main reasons why we have trouble turning around. Could you look at me for a minute? The Spirit of God knows you. Like God created a man and a woman. He knows what your needs are. He like, he knows, that's why, because every man, every man stumbles in this. Well, I hope you're not making this mistake lately, but there, it's just one verse in the Bible that every man knows. Wives, submit to the husbands. In the first year, you might try that one a couple times. You might put it on the refrigerator. How's it working for you, bro? The reason why that doesn't work is because before it says that, it says for a man to give his life up for his wife like Christ gave his life up for the church. We don't want that on the refrigerator. <laughs> I, find, I find it so interesting. The Bible doesn't tell a woman to love herself like she loved, or love her husband like she loves herself. It doesn't say that. And, it, and in fact, it, it, it tells a man to love his wife, but it doesn't even really tell a a woman to love her husband. It says something else. I'll give you the word in a minute. But for a man, it says, you love your wife like you love yourself. That's interesting. Why didn't it tell a woman that? I want Michelle to hear that. <laughs> well, a woman, they don't love themselves like a man does. I'll explain. Like a woman can stand in front of a mirror and she could be beautiful, but she'll find something wrong. Like I don't like this the top of this eyebrow, okay? But a man can be ugly, fat, hair on his back, in front of the mirror like, what's up, what's up? We love ourselves, isn't that right? We love ourselves. I know I love myself. <laughs> but then the Lord said, well, then Rick, love your wife like you love yourself. Dang, that means a lot. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> oh, gosh. But what about the ladies? Interesting enough, it doesn't tell you to love your husband. It's strange to me. But what it does say is to respect him. And it doesn't even say that. It actually says in Ephesians, you must, like it says, you must respect him. Like I made the brother. And you gotta, you gotta respect him. Because if you ask a man to define love, he'll give you the definition of respect. Whenever a man goes to get married, like you got, the, you got the bridesmaids and you got the groomsmen and all of these people, can, his whole family can encourage him. But it's the weirdest thing. Like we can be confident, we can have swag, and we like our brothers encouraging us. But the second we get married, it's like it leaves them and it's just on that one person, the wife. Like she takes all of that. If she doesn't give respect to that man, he dies and he can't get it anywhere else. Man, I tell you, 
a woman, they never understand the power of their words. I'm a very, for some reason, I'm just made confident. Like, I'm confident. Sometimes doubt my relationship with the Lord. Like, is he mad at me? But with people, I'm just always confident. But not with Michelle. It's like, every time I do anything, I just want to know. She's proud of me. Does she respect me? And if I don't have that, it's like, I just want to go somewhere and kill three people. <laughs> I just, I need... <laughs> All right, I don't really want to kill. I'm going to tell you something else, ladies. A man likes, a man loves a woman full of joy. And men, every woman loves joy in a spirit. When is the last time you laughed with joy in your spirit? <laughs> And ladies, I've never met a man yet who said, I just want to marry a depressed chick who hates everybody. <laughs> no, the Bible says that, he want, that a man is looking for a woman who smiles at the future. Like, it's great now, but I know it's going to even be better. They're always trying to find a way to make it better. Well, if I tell him that, he'll do anything. Either go with the word or go your own direction, and how's it going so far? Because if he doesn't get respect from you, he's going to go somewhere else and get it, and that is going to kill him. So I encourage you to be encouraging with your words and full of joy. Can I have an amen? amen. I mean, think about it. Uh, Mary and Martha, mostly called Martha and Mary, <laughs> and they invited Jesus over. Raise your hand if you want Jesus at your home. So they invited Jesus into the home. But check it out. Jesus walks into the home, and uh, they're sisters. So we're not talking about a married couple, but still a home. And Jesus comes in, and Mary like, sits at the feet of Jesus like, I can't believe it. Jesus up in my house. Well, Martha's trying to get everything done. Martha goes in, got to get. When Jesus walks in your house, there's a lot of pressure with that. we got to get this right. People know we're Christians around here we got to get this right. And she's working and working. And the Bible says she started worrying. No joy. Worry. And she walks out. This is what happens when you lose your joy. She walked out and kind of yelled at Jesus a little bit. Definitely threw her sister under the bus. She walked out. She said, Jesus, i got so much to do. My sister's not helping me. This is what happens when you lose your joy. Don't you care? And that's where some of you are right now. It's like, I am going through this, and Jesus doesn't even care. He looks at her, and he just says her name twice. Martha, Martha, when he has to say your name a few times, some of you, he'd probably say it like many times. Martha, Martha, few things are necessary. Really, only one. And your sister, she's acing this. Please don't forget about me. So I want to ask you to bow your heads all around the room.
because some of you, I'm, I'm done. And, uh, but I can't wait to minister the, the rest of this to you tomorrow, but I just desperately want you to know how much he wants you around, how much he misses you, how much he still believes in your marriage. the incredible vision that he has. Listen, the strategies that you're working on on your own without her, it's, it's not gonna be good. The plan of God, you just must know he is smarter than you. He's bigger than you. He's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to bless you. So the results of without him, you've lost joy. You're no longer being led by him. You're truly not happy. And then the big lie is that you go out there trying to fix your life, put it all together so you can then serve the Lord. And the Lord says, you can't do it without me. You can run out there. You can try to put it all back together and then come over and serve me. But that's not how it works. I want to be in on the healing. I can't think of a better place than Healing Place Church to have that happen. So here's how we're going to do it. I'm not going to point, point you out or embarrass you. But if you're here right now and you've been running hard, trying to put everything in its place, you realize you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus again. You may still love him, but you're not walking with him. You may be totally in love with him, but you miss him. And you want to come back. If that's you, then just raise up your hands. Come on, all over this room. I see it. I got 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 it. Okay, there's too many. Let's all stand. Everybody just stand. Come on. You are so much fun to speak to. All right, just take your hands, if you will, and just open them in front of you. It's like a sign of surrender. Jesus said it, or the word says it this way, that whenever you lift up your hands, do it without, without anger or doubt. So I know that some of you walked in with some frustration, anger. Some of you walked in with no hope, doubt. But without anger or doubt, I just want you to say this prayer with me, everyone. Those that raise their hands, everyone. Say this, say, I welcome you, oh God, into my home, into my soul. I make so many mistakes, and I'm sorry. I repent. I want you with me. I miss you. So I want to serve you and you alone. I invite you into my home. I invite you into my dreams. I invite you into my hope. I want to live around you. I want to hear that whisper again. So I lay it at the altar. I cast my cares upon you. And from this day on, I'm going with you. 
Heal my home. Build my marriage. Help me not doubt. Help me to not be angry. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks a lot, Healing Place. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.